Romans chapter 15. I'd like to start by just saying it again. Uh, thank you, Rick Beach, for last week and the, the message that he brought about of first importance. And I, I just want to say it again. You know, this is something that we as Christians need to be saying to ourselves over and over and over again. What's of first importance? And it's the, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you and I would be growing in it, learning it more and more, and living this way. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we can't stress that enough. Um, we have uh, our situations. That's a nice way of saying we have our problems. We have our issues. All that. But God help us as His people... To live for Him by of first importance, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether you're, you know, working at the base, whether you're, you know, working through home or at school, whatever it is, if you say that you're a Christian, that we are going by this of first importance. Okay. Well, this is uh, stepping out in love, part three. Keep leading the way. And what I mean by that is um, that you as a Christian, that you will continue on in this way of stepping out in love. We've got to keep doing that. And it, it's just, it's hammered here in Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14. It starts at Romans chapter 12. There's the key pivot point in the book of Romans, right? And it, in Romans 12, it shifts and talks about, okay... Present your bodies. We've, he spent chapter, you know, chapters 1 through 8 in dealing with doctrine, in dealing with being justified, and then talking about uh, sanctification. Then Romans 9 through 11, he's dealing with the issue of Israel. Okay? And then Romans chapter 12, here's this pivot point now. Okay, now here's the outworking of the gospel. And that's what we've entitled this, this ongoing series since uh, Romans chapter 12 and our study there. And love has been uh, emphasized over and over again in these chapters. The outworking of the gospel then is all about really loving as we should. Christians loving in response to God's given truth. All right? And I know I... I fall short in that. I'm learning. I'm growing. I, I believe that you are also. As long as you and I are staying, spending time in the Word of God and humbling ourselves before Him. If we get away from that, if we get away from spending time in the Word and humbling ourselves before Him, our hearts will grow hard. Our hearts will start wandering. And the next thing you know, you'll be saying you're a Christian, but your lifestyle is like, Wait a minute. Where's the match? What's going on? It's because we need to be a people constantly fed by the Word of God. And here in this passage, Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, Jesus he, he, he keeps coming back with love. Here's another aspect of it. And so, it's not just loving one another. It's loving God and loving others. Loving God to know Him and to learn of Him and thus serve Him and worship Him. 
We've got to get to know him. Because our concept of God is tweaked. We make God out in our own image. Right? We make God out to be like us. Because we, we, we're comfortable with that. And we've got to remember, no, 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 no. God is the, 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 the characteristics, the attributes, the nature of God is given in, in the scripture. And thus as we read and learn of it, we're saying, wow, he's an awesome God. He's a powerful God. And no, we can't understand everything about him. But he's given us what he's desired right here in the word. And then loving others. Loving others and showing it. Now, I, I can be guilty of that. Oh, I, I love people. I, I love. But what, what is it really like when I, am I showing that? Am I demonstrating that? And that's what he's talking about in this passage. So, and brothers and sisters in the family of God demonstrating love. Okay? So, as you look things over in your life, as you evaluate things in your own life, what do you see? What's going on? And I, I ask that at this point because that's, you know, what we're going to see in this passage in Romans 15. Okay? This morning's study reveals four attributes of a godly, mature love. And you have an outline there in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along, I'd encourage you in that way. And um, the four attributes of a godly, mature love. Okay? Number one is love's obligation. Love's obligation. Number two is love's inspiration. As long as you're writing, we'll keep rolling here. <laughs> Number two, in the main, second main point, is love's inspiration. On the back of your outline, number three is love's communication. Love's communication. And then number four is love's combination. Okay, so we start with number one, love's obligation. Follow along with me as I read Romans 15, 1 through 7. Okay, follow along in the Bible, Romans 15, 1 through 7. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Okay? So, we're starting with love's obligation. You know what the world says is it's really all about you and what you can get. And there's an interesting little uh, quote that I, I pulled out of an uh, illustration book. Uh, 
think it's 7,000 illustrations, encyclopedia kind of a book. But it's a very appropriate uh, comment here on this. Merv Anderson reviewing Dr. Hans Sell's book, Stress Without Distress, states that the Montreal doctor prescribes a strong dose of selfishness as the best way of achieving a happier, saner society. Unbridled idealism, he suggests, is a cancerous curse. He even dares to attack one of the Bible's most celebrated injunctions, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He brands this as biological heresy. (laughs) Dr. Selv asserts that true self-interest covers the full range of biological drives, and this includes man's social nature and his need to get along with other people. His solution? Altruistic egotism. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a simple... This, now I'm all messed up here. This is simply a case of helping others for the selfish motive of deserving help in return. So instead of trying the impossible feat of loving your neighbor as yourself, you should content yourself with earning your neighbor's respect. So that's uh, one person's idea of how to have a better society, well, I I think we all recognize the uh, ridiculousness of that in light of Jesus Christ, in light of the Scriptures. So, we deal with this. Here's, you know, he continues on with this idea of love. And I've said, here it is, love's obligation. Excuse me, the, the first point on this is Bearing up others. We see it in verse 1 there. You who are, we who are strong ought to bear the, wit, the weaknesses of those without strength. And the word ought is the word obligation. Okay? And if you have an English standard version, you see that. They're translating that word um, as a, obligation. Okay? And it's the idea of like an accounting term. Here it is. We, we are obliged to do this. This is what we're supposed to do. Okay? Bearing up others. Those who we, we bear up others, those who are weak in the faith or without strength. So in God's economy, what we've just said there, in God's economy, being strong is talking about being, you know, growing in faith. Now, those are basic kind of terms. But here it is, my friend. Are you, how are you doing? Are you growing in faith? I know, you know, most of you, I believe, you're you're spending time in the Word. But I'm concerned that others are not. Others are just, you know, showing up and um, wanting to learn. But the thing is, you've got to keep doing it. Day in, day out. Learning of the Word. Spending time in it tomorrow morning or tomorrow night or this evening, or this... And spend time in His Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Okay? And so this idea that, you know, we do. We have other people that we say, well, they're, they're weaker. What are they weaker in? What, why? It's a matter of they're weaker in the faith. Okay? Bearing them up. And so this is what the church really is about, that we understand about uh, bearing those up who are weaker in the faith, carrying them along, encouraging them. So Paul is wrapping up 
his exhortation on this, that Christians are called to accept one another, welcome them. That's the another way the word is translated. Bear or carry their weaknesses. Okay. And uh, then it says, and not just please ourselves. So you see it, you read it right there in verse one. It's a great challenge because our tendency, our natural tendency is to please ourselves. And the work of the, the spirit of God in your life is that you would learn to love. And in this particular way, accept one another, welcoming one another. Okay. Bearing weaknesses of those without strength. So, uh, you know, taking, you know, meeting someone, knowing of someone that needs encouragement and you're pointing them to the, the real encourager and where real encouragement comes from, the Word of God. There's, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, do you realize the Scripture's calling you not just the pastor or not just the pastoral staff or not just the leadership, but the Word calls you to admonish one another with the things of the Word. To, to come across, you're coming across a friend, you're meeting, with, meeting them for lunch or having coffee with them, whatever it is, being ready in that way to encourage them in the Word, encourage them in their growth in, in the things of Christ. And so we've, we've got to encourage one another. And that's what we're... Here we are. Romans 15. Trying to deal with it. So love's obligation is bearing up others. And letter B is building up others. Because that's what he's saying there. Not to just please ourselves. Let us... Uh, verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Okay, again, simple concept, right? Am I doing that in my life? And I turn that to you. Are you doing that in your life, Christian? Okay? Um, Not just being a a good sport, (laughs) uh, but being a good encourager in the things of God. Being ready to share what you've learned, what you've taken in in your morning devotions and passing it along. All right? See, and if you haven't had your time in the Word, how can you then pass along? And, and we're called here to, to love. And that's the response. Here's the gospel given. Here's now the emphasis is loving. So building others up. Um, Christians are to be builders for the chief architect, not for some other cause, right? Not for just this church, <laughs> but for the, the chief architect. Are you a kingdom builder? All right? And that's the idea behind this. Edification. Edification for Parkside's numbers? No. Edification for a really cool whatever here? No, it's edification for the kingdom of God. Are you a kingdom builder? Right? Think that through. Look for opportunities in this way here through the week. And again, I, we, 
we've said it time and again. We'll say it again. Here's opportunity. Inviting your friends. Inviting your neighbors, your co-workers. Come, come to this Bible study. Come to this Sunday school class. Come to this uh, candlelight and caroling service. Come to the, come to the, the soup. I was going to say soup and sandwich, but it's soup time. Come to these events. Encourage people to come along. Okay? We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor. And you say, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to be pleasing God? Yeah. (laughs) But are you loving God and a loving man? Then here's his statement. Look to please your neighbor. Okay? All right. Um, there's another thing I'd like to read to you here. And this is so true. Um, so true for all of us. Have you noticed when the other fellow acts that way, he's ugly? You know, whatever kind of way you want to you know, look at it, you say, oh, you know, he's acting ugly. And when you do it, it's nerves. When others are set in their ways, they're obstinate. And when you are, it's firmness. When your neighbor doesn't like your friend, he's prejudiced. When you don't like his, you're a good judge of human nature. When he tries to treat someone especially well, he's toadying. When you try it, you're being thoughtful. When he takes time to do things well, he's a slowpoke or lazy. When you do... You're deliberate and careful. When he spends a lot of time, or I'm sorry, when he spends a lot, he's a spendthrift. When you do, you're generous. When someone picks flaws in things, he's cranky and critical. When you do, you're, you're creative. When he is mild-mannered, you call him weak. And when you are, you're, you're gracious. You know, things like that, you, you get the message. Okay. And the only way to really help in this kind of a dilemma is to grow closer to Christ. Learn of Christ. Love Him. Learn of Him. Grow in His Word. And then, you know, then here's discernment. Alright? And again, how many times does the Bible talk about loving others? And it's as, you know, how are we doing in that way? So, Paul makes it abundantly clear when the opportunities arise, use it for your neighbor's good. Be ready to edify. After all, Jesus said, Acts 20, 35, he said, it is better to what? Better to give than to receive. So, there's our exhortation in that, okay? Love's obligation. Number two, love's inspiration. Love's inspiration, or you couldn't even say the word motivation. Love's motivation. And it points us directly to the example of Jesus. Letter A, the example of Jesus. For even Christ did not please himself. Okay? But as it is written, as it is written, there's another part of the inspiration. Christ, the example of Christ, and the effect, letter B, under number two, the effect of scripture. So he goes right to it. Here's the example of Jesus and the effect of scripture. So under letter A, 
it's Psalm 69 that's the reference. Psalm 69 is the reference, a, a prophecy about Jesus who took the brunt of man's reproaches against God. There it is. It's saying it right there. In verse 3. And the word reproaches means verbal abuse, insults, reviling. Now, it's one thing to say what it means. It's another thing to illustrate what it means. This past week, um, every you know, all the sports writers were so concerned about Mr. King himself, LeBron James, um, uh, NBA basketball player, going back to his old hometown of Cleveland, and all the abuse he was going to take, and all the reviling, and all that, and it's nothing compared to what Jesus dealt with. Absolutely nothing. Think about it with Jesus. <laughs> He's born, virgin birth, miraculous. Okay? And then his family has to flee because of a mad king. Because they're, they're killing all the boys two years old, or yeah, two years old and younger. A massacre of innocent life. Okay? And it didn't stop there for Jesus. Once he gets back, you know, they move on up to Nazareth and, you know, he's growing up. And amongst his first ministry appearances, you know, they're, they're on him. They're on him right away. And one of the things that happened, the crowd rushed upon him to push him off of a cliff. And the scripture says he, he passed through their midst. They wanted to push him off a cliff what, because he was so popular. <laughs> they were upset. You know, the, the religious people of the day called him, you know, they knew about this birth. And they referred to him as illegitimate. At least we have mothers and fathers is what they were trying to get across. And thus they made the implication that he was illegitimate. How do you like that? Okay. And along with that, basically he was insane. You know, his, his, his family came to get him. You know, like, you know, this Jesus, you know, oh, yeah, we, maybe we should come and get him and, you know, kind of escort him off and, and sit him down and talk to him. All these things. And then it doesn't stop. It kept going at his arrest, at his crucifixion. Okay. The soldiers and the angry Jews just hurling insults at him. Mocking him. And then at the cross, right? I mean, you folks know this. But we have to bring it back to mind because uh, here's this passage and it was prophesied back in Psalm, you know, back hundreds of years before. And yet, what is this all about? Listen, Love's motivation, love's inspiration, if you will, is the, here's the example of Jesus. You know, while he's hanging there on the cross, everyone's, you know, walking by, you know, people are just hurling out insults and, and mocking him, yelling out, hey, save yourself, come on, save yourself. Even, even going back to Matthew chapter 4, I, I, I forgot this one, Matthew chapter 4, what 
What was uh, going on there? The temptation in the wilderness. And, and Satan, the enemy, comes to him. And, you know, tempts him with this, tempts him with that. And then says, hey, if you're the son of God here, I'll give you all this kingdom. And he did not. We come back to our, pa- our passage. He did not please himself. And up to the garden, the garden scene, crying out, sweating, drops of blood, crying out, Father, if it be your will, that you have this cup pass over me. See, he's not, you know, we just, we can take this, this message and belittle it. We, we can take this message and, and almost Make it into a myth. But when we look at the Word and let the Word of God speak to our hearts, we are brought to our knees. We're brought to our, to tears. We should be brought to repentance. Because we're so doggone concerned about ourselves. Our little kingdoms. Our whatever. Our issues. But I'm telling you, Christian, the more we keep our focus on Christ, His suffering and His resurrection, the more you're going to grow in the faith and the more God's going to bring forth this love that should be overflowing in our hearts and lives. That's what we come back to is this the issue of here's how does love, get, you know, is love overflowing in our lives? So, hopefully, through love's obligation, we understand what we're supposed to do. And love's inspiration, we can take action in this way and apply it. So, all that that is mentioned is about the reproaches of those who reproached God fell upon Jesus, God in the flesh. Man rejects God. That's what it is about. So, love's inspiration is the example of Jesus and letter B, the effect of scriptures. Okay? Paul explains the effect of scripture. What was written? This was God's chosen message. Or, I'm sorry, God's chosen method about writing something down. Moses, David, Ezra, others that wrote down what God so moved in their lives. And brought about, here's the written word of God. Okay? So, that was his method. And what Paul is saying here, look at verse 4. Whatever was written in earlier times, he's kind of taking like a rabbit trail here. And saying, here's not just the effect or the example of Christ. Here's the effect of scriptures. Was written for our instruction. Okay? And the instruction then is to develop what? Look at the word. Endurance and encouragement. My friend, you're on a training course as a Christian. And the training is to develop endurance. Okay? Um, Again, uh, many of you that you you run, uh, you jog, um, that takes endurance. I could say I run, but I run from here to the fellowship hall. 
It's not like Al Munoz running and running and running and running off into the sunset. <laughs> and so we, we understand about that. Here's the, here's the reason for Scripture is to bring about salvation, but also then to transform our lives. And it's about, here it is, God's wanting to develop endurance and encouragement that what? What's, the, what's it for? Keep reading. <laughs> for hope. End of verse 4. That we might have hope. And you're saying, okay, here we go. Here is the Christmas message. We start in on the celebration of Advent. It was last week. We didn't really mention anything about it, but... You know, here's the second Sunday of Advent, and here we go. The whole idea of Christmas is coming. We're talking about it. We hear the music. Well, here it is. Here it is again in Romans 15, that you might have hope. Is that, is that the case? Is that the case in our lives? Are we exuding with hope? What is hope? You know, the whole idea of hope, uh, we see it. I see it, you see it all the time. It's, it, a lot of times it comes across as, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish, I wish, I wish. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is certainty. Biblical hope is not about any doubting, but confidence. Okay? Now, we know, we don't, we don't have an idea what's gonna come up, uh, in 2011. 2011. We don't know what's coming up. But Christian, you have a hope. That we might have hope. Okay? And it's a confidence. It's not merely wishful thinking. Okay? That we have the scriptures so that endurance, encouragement might be developed so that we can live in hope and have certainty and not doubt. And so at Christmas time especially, Christian... It's about having hope and sharing that with others. What an excellent time. I asked a young guy Friday night, at, at giving out the, the New Testament Friday night, I said, do you know what Christmas is really about? And he, he gave you know, a little bit of idea that you know, Jesus was born. And I said, do you know why Jesus was born? And he really didn't know. You know, we've got a community here that is hurting. They're without hope. And you have hope, Christian, don't you? And here, here I am. I grab my little bushel and I put it over my head and I'm a happy Christian. God forgive me. God have mercy on us. We've got the gospel. And we need to be ready to talk about it with people. I didn't say that you, you know, that we will have all sorts of converts. See, salvation is of the Lord, not of you, not of your technique, not of some other technique. Salvation is of the Lord. But are we, are we sharing it with people? You know what? When you share it with people, guess what? You're inspired and you're motiva- motivated to do more. But all too often, this is what describes our Christian life. We're sitting on our pews. 
enjoying worship. And I hope you do enjoy it. I hope there's a good, you know, time of encouragement to one another. But that's not, it doesn't stop there. It gotta, it's gotta go out of these walls. And you have people in your life that I'll never, I'll never have a, necessarily an influence on them. You do! And we need God's help in, in getting, getting the gospel out to share it with others. We have a living hope. It's a living hope. Okay? There's all sorts of other things to say under that issue of inspiration. But we need to move on. Point number three is love's communication. Because of how the scriptures bring about transformation, Paul then throws in this prayer for all believers, verses 5 and 6. And he says, now may the God who gives perseverance... He's already mentioned this. Here's the God who gives perseverance and encouragement. May he grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So love's communication is being in tune with one Lord. That's very simple to see it in the the passage, but it's a matter that as we communicate what love is about, it's being in tune with one Lord. Right? And the, the words in these two verses are all about this issue of having the same mind with one another. Being unified. Having harmony. Okay? I was thinking of trying to bring up somebody like Sheila or somebody, you know, uh, maybe from the choir, you know, somebody else, and have them sing with me. But I, I, we won't go there. But the idea is that when you have somebody that can sing the same notes, you know, you're in unison. But then the, the, the idea of singing in harmony, what, is, what does that do? Singing in harmony brings a, a richness, doesn't it? And that's the idea of the body of Christ. Yeah, Brian Itzkin's saying he can't sing, so he's not a part of it. We'll get you there, Brian. Same with Monty and others. They boast about how they can't sing. They don't have that gift. But um, they make a joyful noise to the Lord. <laughs> okay. So, being in, love's communication, is, is, it starts with being in tune with the Lord so that we might, you know, it's got to be about Him. We're in fellowship with Him. So that we can be of the same mind with one another. Okay? And there's too much of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can just mark that down in your notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I hear there's these schisms amongst you. You know, so and so says, I'm a Paul. Others say, I'm of Apollos. And on and on. And we've got that in America, at least. Some say, I am of Charles Stanley, and I am of Charles Swindoll, and I am of John MacArthur, and I am of whoever else, right? And Scripture is clear. There aren't, it's not supposed to be that way. We've got to learn, as Christians, mature in the Word of God so that when we come across others that maybe have a, a divisive type of approach to it, we can say, you know, what are you know? What are the basics of of your belief here? You know, are we going to be, uh, agree on the fundamentals of the faith? That's what 
he's calling for in Romans 14 and 15, understanding those differences. Okay? So, being in tune with one Lord means that we've got to be growing in doctrine. We've got to be growing in things of doctrine. And uh, sometimes people just don't like that sound. But to be one, we've got to grow in understanding theology, doctrine, instruction, teaching, and those things. Okay, If not, we can be very um, kind of scattered. Another little story, Aesop. Aesop stories, right? Tells us there are four bulls which were great friends. They went everywhere together, fed together, laid down to rest together, always keeping so close to each other that if any danger was near, they could all face it at once. But it was that old lion that had determined to have them, but he could never get at them singly. He was a match for anyone alone, but not all four of those bulls at once. However, he used to watch for his opportunity and when one bull lagged behind the least little bit as the others were grazing, he would sneak up and, and whisper that the other bulls had been saying unkind things about him. And this he did so often that at last the four friends became uneasy with each other. Each thought the other three were plotting against him. Finally, as there was no trust among them, they went off by themselves, their friendship broken, and this is what the lion had desired all the time. Now he could get them one by one and have a great meal each time. Now I say that because that's what the enemy wants to do amongst Christians. The enemy cannot take you, you know, number one, the enemy doesn't have anything that he can do that God doesn't allow. But especially when we come together, you know, under, here's one Lord, one Lord that we are in tune with, then, letter B, we can with one voice, in tune as one voice, glorify God. We don't have time this morning, but, you know, when I say that, you know, some, I don't know what everyone thinks. You know, how do you glorify God in your life? And that's something that we have to continue you know, raising up and, and talking about. How do you glorify your, your God in your life at uh, age 85 or at age 15? You know, does the 85-year-old get to have the, the week off because he's been there, done that? No, the 85-year-old still needs to glorify God. The 15-year-old or whatever, young person, learn to glorify God in your life. Honor Him. Lift him up. The word to glorify is the idea of giving high esteem. To give him honor, to magnify him. Okay? So, with one voice, glorify God. Number four, we've got to wrap it up quick here. Number four is love's combination. It's verse seven. It's really kind of the... Here's another nail that he's driving in. And that is, he's saying in verse seven... Therefore, because of all these things said, therefore, accept one another or welcome one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Okay? So, love's combination. It's kind of the one-two punch. 
you're, you want to welcome others and, and accept others. And you're, you're, you're combining that with the fact that how Christ accepted you. See, as we go into communion time, well, it's, let me just tell you the, the fill in the blanks. Letter A is for our growth and letter B is for his glory. We already kind of mentioned that, but you can see that breakdown very simply in verse 7. It's for our growth as you determine to accept others and welcome them and love them. You're going to grow. There's people that have said, I'm not going to attend church. They, they choose not to attend church. Then they say, I'm a believer, but I don't attend church. And a lot of times it's because underneath it, they cannot relate well with people. And so they bail out and they don't attend church. I'm talking about Christians. They, they, they believe in, in Christ. They, they honor Him in their lives. But they don't attend church because there's no, they have a hard time relating in the body of Christ. Maybe some of you have thought that. I, I just can't relate. Well, God's asking you to spend time in the Word to draw you into His ways more, to help you grow deeper in the things of God so that you might be an encouragement to others. Remember, endurance and encouragement. It's about relating to others. It's not just for yourself. It's about relating to the body of Christ. Here it is. It's for our growth, for His glory. Okay? And this is our motivation that we would be a body of believers that are loving others, accepting them, welcoming them, pointing them to Christ and His authority, pointing them to the doctrine, the, the the sound doctrine that we stand upon. That's what we've got to stand upon as we talk about these kind of things. Listen, as we go into our communion time, how does this relate? How does this relate to uh, communion? Let me just say this. Look at yourself as the weaker brother that Christ came along. And Christ, uh, Christ came along and bore your sins. Just like this passage is saying in Romans 15, that we who are stronger, stronger in the faith, would bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Well, Christ, in the, the big picture way, He's the one who came along and bore your weaknesses. He bore your, your sin, your iniquities. So in the big picture, as we come to celebrate and remember the Lord's table, it's really about Christ coming and really fulfilling Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs, what? He bore, right? He carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions 
It's just the, here's the, ful- the perfect fulfillment of what Paul is instructing us in Romans 15 about love. How we handle relationships with the weaker brother. And Christ perfected it. We were like sheep that had gone astray. And God placed on him your iniquities, my iniquities. I said it earlier in the service. He accomplished. Jesus Christ accomplished what you and I could never have done. And now, as a believer in Christ, you can approach God with confidence, with hope, boldness, and come before His throne, saying, Abba, Father. Why? Because you've been a good church attender? (laughs) Wrong. Because Christ paid a penalty that you could never have paid. And I want that to sink in. And I, I hope that it'll sink into all of us so that here today, tomorrow, through the week, we can share that gospel good news with others. Many who think that if I'm just good enough, I'll get to heaven when I die. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. That if I'm just good enough, I'll get to heaven. And God will weigh out the good from the bad and kind of be a good guy, a good God, and He'll let me in. And that's a lie. The only way you can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and His shed blood, His righteousness on your account. And so, we humble ourselves as we partake of the communion elements. Recognizing that Christ is the stronger brother. Christ is the one. And he, he picked you up and put you on his back and he carried you. And we give him thanks and praise forever and ever and ever. So, so what about this passage? It's a matter of us maturing in love as individuals and as a congregation so that we might love in the way he's called us to in this community to share the gospel with with those in need, with those without hope. Next week we'll talk about the the uh, more about the hope that we have in Christ.